This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and the Wangal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Her father loved me, oft invited me, still questioned me the story of my life from year to year, the battles, sieges, fortunes that I had passed. I ran it through, even from my boyish days to the very moment that he bade me tell it, wherein I spake of most disastrous chances, of moving accidents by flood and field, of hairbreadth scapes of the imminent deadly breach, of being taken by the insolent foe and sold to slavery, of my redemption thence and portents in my travel's history, wherein of antas vast and deserts idle, rough quarries, rocks and hills whose heads touch heaven. It was my hint to speak, such was the process, and of the cannibals that each other eat, the anthropophagi and men whose heads do grow beneath their shoulders. This to hear would Desdemona seriously incline. But still the house affairs would draw her thence, which ever as she could with haste dispatch, she'd come again, and with her greedy ear devour up my discourse, which I, observing, took once a pliant hour and found good means to draw from her a prayer of earnest heart that I would all my pilgrimage dilate, whereof by parcels she had something heard, but not intentively. I did consent, and often did beguile her of her tears. When I did speak of some distressful stroke that my youth suffered, my story being done, she gave me for my pains a world of sighs. She swore in faith, t'was strange, t'was passing strange, "'Twas pitiful. "'Twas wondrous pitiful. "'She wished she had not heard it, "'yet she wished that heaven had made her such a man. "'She thanked me, "'and bade me if I had a friend that loved her, "'I should but teach him how to tell my story, "'and that would woo her. "'Upon this hint I spake. "'She loved me, for the dangers I had passed. And I loved her that she did pity them. This only is the witchcraft I have used. Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Othello from Act 1, Scene 3, read by our guest this week. He is a graduate of Toy Fakati, New Zealand's premier drama school. On stage, he's played Othello for Centrepoint Theatre, Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet for Downstage Theatre, Guildenstern in Hamlet, Macduff in Macbeth, and Angelo in Comedy of Errors, all for the Pop-Up Globe as well as Achilles in the Maori Troilus and Cressida at the Globe Theatre in London. He's also appeared in Disney's The Lion King and performed at Rugby World Cups in New Zealand, France and Japan. His musical act, the Modern Maori Quartet, has toured to China, Australia, London, Edinburgh and New York. 
His screen credits include Shortland Street, Correro Mai, and Seven Periods with Mr. Gormsby. He's currently playing George Washington in the smash hit musical Hamilton. It is my great pleasure to welcome Matu Maropo. Matu, welcome to Speak the Speech. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's so good to have you here, and thank you for choosing this beautiful, wonderful, poetic speech. Tell me what's just happened for Othello here, just before he gives this speech. What's going on? Well, this is him in court, basically pleading his case to mm-hmm. say that he is not the bad man that you all think he is, mm-hmm. that Brabantia think he, he is, thinks he is, um, for bewitching his daughter, yeah. basically. Mm. So I guess this is the setup for our play, isn't it? Mm. I love this speech because as a man of colour myself, mm. um, I'm misunderstood at times too. Sure. And um, I, I think this is a wonderful show of his heart yeah. um, and his honour. And uh, I think it sets us up really well for what comes in the play. Yeah, yeah. It's got such powerful images in it. In fact, when um, James L. Jones was asked to pick one piece of poetry to read at the White House for President Obama in 2009, he chose this speech. No, I didn't even know that. Out of all poetry, not even just Shakespeare, out of all poetry, he chose this speech to do. And it's about the images, the story that he tells. He says, I weaved a story and Desdemona fell in love with me because of this incredible life that I've led. And, and he's had to pull himself up out of terrible situations, absolutely awful situations. But still, even though he's a leader and he's a general in the army, he's still not accepted by Venetian society, right? Yeah, that's right. And I can relate listening to you read back my credits just before yeah, and yeah. talk about what I've done. I'm I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I understand now at the ripe age of my mid to early 40s, sure, somewhere sure. around there, yeah. um, what it feels like to still be misunderstood for the way that you look, yeah. even though you have this amount of experience in these stories behind you. Amazing. Um, yeah. It's a speech I haven't, and a play that I haven't visited in a, a long while. Right. And I specifically chose that today because I thought, what would I be ready for now in my life? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this man came to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how many times have you played Othello in the past? So this was kind of the first role that I played at high school. Oh, wow, yeah. When I was a, a 17-year-old. Okay. And I had just recently discovered Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, from that performance, um, I was chosen as one of 10 to travel as a part of the New Zealand Youth Shakespeare Company to mm. London and study at the Globe. Yeah. So that was my first time at Shakespeare's Globe in 1999. Mm. Um, and I was New Zealand's first intern. I stayed there and worked with the company at the mm. time and the artistic director who was Mark Rylance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I got some great learning as a teenager had my 18th birthday there and didn't realize at the time how much I didn't know because when you're young you think you're invincible right you know everything yeah exactly and so that was kind of my first um time that I met Othello and then when I went to drama school after I returned back to New Zealand in my third year I seconded to uh, Summer Shakespeare Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and played him there and then in my final year I was asked by Centrepoint Theatre to come up and play the role because they had somebody just pull out. Oh, yeah. yeah. And because they knew I'd done it recently done it, yeah. and they were casting young. Mm-hmm. So that's back in 2003. Okay. So it's so pretty 20. much 20 years yeah. now. And so, I feel like now I might understand 
what he's talking about a bit more. Yeah. Look, isn't that funny that as we get older, Shakespeare's parts speak to us in different ways. I really do believe that. What do you think you would understand from Othello now that perhaps 20 years ago would would escape you? Love? Mm. Pain, more pain, more mm. grief. Yeah, yeah. What it feels to be betrayed. Yes. Jealousy. Yes, yeah. Uh, how my mind can often get the better of me. Right, right. All of those things, which I think are quite central to his his character. I mean, I'm being a Maori man, I, I'm quite visceral and base anyway in my instincts. That's mm. part of, I think, what I bring to my work. So that side of him I always connected to quite okay. well. Okay. But the depth and the complexity of what those actually feel like mm when you're slightly older is yeah. a completely different kettle of fish. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that feeling of love and possibly losing love and the jealousy that comes around that. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's a horrible <laughs> feeling. But I absolutely connect to that mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. now, that's for sure. Of course, of course, yeah. It, there's, there's a problem at the end of this play, a problem. And that is that Othello murders his wife. Now, what that has done to the play, and especially uh, in recent years, is that, it, that it's kind of turned it on its head. And in many ways, once the character murders his wife, well, how can you like anything about him? Do you know what I mean? Like, it becomes entirely about that. How do you come at this play and have a character who does that but still has to attract our sympathy. How does that work? I think the fact that the audience has direct insight yes. into the manipulation behind the actions yes. gives an understanding and a sympathy towards him, mm -hmm. as well as this kind of feeling of incredulous unbelievability mm. that it's actually happening and that feeling of dramatic irony when somebody could just tap him on the shoulder and just be like bro <laughs> bro it's not real this fellow over here is just being a bad person yeah <laughs> want of a better word yeah. um i think that he, he still carries a bit of honor with him in that moment mm -hmm. I don't know if it is a problem. Is it a problem? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm asking. I'm not sure. I, I think it's the beauty of the play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's problematic. I think it's the tragedy that it is. Yes. That's why it's so heavy hitting yeah. and why people connect to it. Mm. Because he is a loving, trusting, honorable man. Mm. And he believes his friend is a loving, trusting, trustworthy, honorable man. Yes. Yeah. But we've all had people in our lives who are close to us but really just want to do us over because they want what we have. Mm, mm. I think it's very human and I think it's um, the audiences who watch this play will understand that immediately. Yeah, yeah. Some of the experiences that Othello talks about here are about battles and, and things that he's fought. But there's also a line in here where he says that he's been sold into slavery mm. and then redeemed from slavery. Now, it seems to me like 
redemption has has two meanings here. One is that he was perhaps rescued from that situation, but there's a religious aspect to it as well, isn't there? Do you find that there's something about Othello because he, he's constantly going on about the fact that he is a Christian, he's reminding people, I am a Christian just like all of you. There's a religious aspect to it. But then, of course, there's that disconnect. The, the religion is meant to be all-embracing and loving, um, whereas, in fact, within Venice... Uh, it is exclusive, and and that's what he finds, right? Yes. The idea of religion or Christianity being something that saved him mm-hmm. is quite an important idea. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's also part of the depth of the tragedy mm-hmm. because the principles of something that is fundamental yeah. are about trust and love goodwill, um, your fellow man being your brother, Mm. these kinds of ideas. But I also love that this is a a concept which doesn't have to necessarily be about religion. It doesn't necessarily have to be about that exclusivity or confine. Mm -hmm. And that being bought and sold itself is a big enough idea and a painful enough idea to not to be removed from that taken or to escape whatever the circumstance is like a spiritual no doubt awakening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think it works on all of those levels yeah yeah for sure and desdemona obviously is gobsmacked by this story she's never heard anything like it mm-hmm. and she stands up for herself as well mm-hmm. during this scene right she says to yes, her she father does. she says to her father for the first time perhaps no no this is the decision that i've made there's no witchcraft here mm-hmm. but then the father says something really interesting to othello he just as he's about to leave he says all right fine get married um, but he says to othello she has deceived her father and will do the same to you do you think that is that the first seed of little doubt that drops into his head that little moment, or does he just not clock that at all? I think he has to clock it. Mm-hmm. I think it's there for a reason. Yeah. I think it's it may not be as pointed as we might want it to be yes. to serve the the story as it continues. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think it's probably more tasty. Yeah. If it's not. Yeah. If it's more subliminal yeah, or yeah, more yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of backbrained by Othello. Sure. I think his trust is still strong at that point, yep. his honorability, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that uh, Shakespeare has put that there as a little idea for the audience, yeah. not so much for the character. Okay, yeah, good point. Now, Matu, for you, Shakespeare started obviously at school. You you mentioned that you, you played the role, you played Othello 17, but did you encounter Shakespeare before that, early in your school career? The year previous, mm-hmm. I had been to see Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the first real moment that I had heard Shakespeare at all. Mm-hmm. We hadn't yet studied it yeah. at school. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the film thinking, they don't die, no, they no. don't die. I'm sure they, they can't die. No, it's got to end well. Yeah. It must. It's got to, you know, this little 15-year-old yeah. going, yeah. oh, no, this is going to be great. Yeah. What? what? No. No. And, of course, the way that the, their deaths play out in the film is not the same as how it reads. Yeah. But that moment I was like, 
I love this. Yeah. I love that it did that to me mm. and I want to do that to people too. Wow. And it was kind of my introduction to theatre as a whole. Wow, yeah. And acting, that okay. moment of seeing this film. Yeah. So thanks, Baz. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and from then it kind of just took off very quickly. Mm. Like mm. we did Romeo and Juliet at school that year and I was like, oh, should I be involved Played some minor character, Benvolio, and mm -hmm. um, some minor character. Um, <laughs> and then the following year was Othello, mm -hmm. and things just took off very fast for me. And I knew instantly that this Shakespeare thing and this acting thing was something that I wanted to, yeah. to do and kind of yeah. sat well on me. Yep. Yep. Felt very right. Mm -hmm. Was performance and theatre a part of your family, part of your background at all? Oh, I didn't know this at the time, mm. but. Um, my mum had done theatre in the 60s. No and she's she'd worked with people like George Henare who plays D Dumbledore and Harry Potter okay, here in yeah, Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she had travelled the world for a couple of years doing traditional Māori performance. Yeah. And I grew up in that world as well. So I knew what it was to be on stage, um, to be singing and doing mm. the haka. Like that kind of thing was very much a part of my upbringing. Okay. But uh, I didn't really know that it would translate. Mm. And the fact that Shakespeare was the first kind of entry point for me makes sense because the language that I speak is poetic. Yes. Yeah. Māori is a very kind of poetic, metaphoric language. Sure. Mm -hmm. The way that we describe somebody is usually likened to a type of tree or mm -hmm. uh, a rock. or mm -hmm. And it's exactly what we see here, you know what I mean? Whose yeah. heads touch heaven. Yeah. So yeah. this kind of language felt very natural for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. And then... Early on, at the age of 18, you're across in London, you're interning at The Globe, you're working with Mark Rylance. What was he like? What was he like, Mark Rylance, working with him? He, oh, we're going back a wee while here. And remember that I was a child. Yes. <laughs> um, but he, he seemed um, and was very light. He was mm -hmm. a very light kind of fun man, mm -hmm. very silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The kind of workshops that he took took us through and the kind of um, readings that I did for and with them were kind of, in retrospect now, kind of small gifts to this kid who was here yeah, who wanted to learn. So they were very, he was very generous. Mm, mm. Watching him work in rehearsal with a company of players from around the world mm. was just kind of like mind-blowing. Mm -hmm now looking back but at the time i was kind of like oh yeah i know what oh yeah i see what they're doing yeah yeah oh no yeah that's cool i don't know if i'd do that that way uh you know that kind of <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> kind yeah. of thing but he was very generous and very lovely mm. and um very welcoming and mm. open yeah very i mean obviously as an artistic director strong visioned and tough on his professional players mm. for mm. sure mm. and at the time it was Comedy of Errors, a new play called Augustine's Oak, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra. Okay, yep. And yep. he was playing Cleopatra at the time. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. And I remember that, that. He, yeah. he was just insane, mm. amazing. Mm. Yeah. And I'd also never seen a full company of men play. Yeah, and so yeah, that yeah. was kind yeah. of like, mm -hmm. that kind of blew my head off. I was like, this is incredible. This level of crazy, silly, touching, mm. like just all of the things, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And then years later you got to go back as part of the Māori Troilus and Cressida 
and perform there again on on the globe stage, right? Yes. Was that was that the Olympic Arts Festival where companies came from around the world? Yes. Yes. Yeah, right. Twenty twelve. So yeah. Yeah. Twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. Thirty seven different companies from yes. thirty seven different yeah. countries, mm-hmm. and we opened it. Yeah. Which was pretty wow. awesome, mm-hmm. and we played opening night on Shakespeare's birthday, April twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. Twenty third. Twenty third. Sorry, April 25th is Anzac Day. <laughs> right, yes. Okay. <laughs> April 23rd, we yeah. opened it. And speaking our language on that stage yeah. wow. and being in traditional dress, mm, mm. playing someone like Achilles, mm. finding out that when Patroclus is killed in battle, he does a haka. I, I'm, I made his speech a haka. Yeah. Yeah. To just like felt so amazing. Wow. And to feel like... Um, the young boy who had seen things happen on that stage and to return as a slightly older man mm-hmm, and to mm-hmm. be doing this incredible thing mm-hmm. with my people in my language was uh, mm. very humbling, Yeah, yeah. very overwhelming. Yep. We all entered the space and every everybody kind of broke down mm-hmm. because it, was, it felt like going into a traditional house, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. what we have at home. Yeah, wow. And of course it would because it's a traditional house. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So yeah, you can yeah. kind of feel... Mm. the spirit yes yeah of 400 years oh my gosh I want to go back (sighs) you're listening to Speak the Speech the podcast from Bell Shakespeare I'm James Evans and with me today is Matu Ngoropo Matu there's also a pop-up globe that started in New Zealand, came here to to Australia, and you've been an integral part of performances in that space. What's that been like to take that experience that you've actually had on the real globe stage and then go into this kind of pop-up experience? I felt very lucky mm-hmm. to have had that experience um, and to bring that with me into yeah. pop-up. Obviously, the structure itself yeah. is different because it's made of scaffold. Yeah. So... It's slightly harder work. Uh, You don't get the amount of acoustic that you do um, in Shakespeare's Globe over in London. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of fundamentals of how you play a space like that, Mm -hmm. I felt very, very fortunate that I could take those immediately into that space. Um, And to work with Miles Gregory who, and David Lawrence, both of them amazing, experienced Mm -hmm. directors and players of Shakespeare. Yeah. I still had so much to learn yeah, yeah, yeah. and to work on plays I'd never done before. Mm. I think only a couple of us who played in the seasons that I was in, mm. only a few of us had actually played over in London in before. In London itself, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was important to share that experience. Yep, yep. But I'm really glad I got to bring that learning back home mm-hmm. and, and to give it to the people of New Zealand. Yep. And the fact that it's so immediate in that space yes i mean you'll yeah. understand that it's it's like the visceral f- physical spit level of connection <laughs> is just so yeah. juicy mm-hmm. you know it's just mm-hmm. um mm. so many kids are, were inspired by pop-up yeah, yeah and so many young adults and other actors inspired mm. by pop-up of course it had its challenges mm. but um i think we were very lucky and also here very lucky to have had it come and visit. I hope it happens again. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, it's it's very different playing style, isn't it? To uh, say a, a regular proscenium arch theatre, where the audience is in the dark, you've got lights in your eyes. 
in in the globe and, and presumably in the pop-up globe you can see the audience as well as they can see you so you can see exactly what they're thinking and feeling and uh, whether the the play and the story is landing and connecting how does that affect your playing style as an actor the most important part mm. of playing in pop-up or at shakespeare's globe is about direct address right yes mm-hmm. and how you find the different thoughts in the audience. Interesting. For me, that was the most important um, part of the experience because say for example, Macduff says, all my little chickens. Looking at a royal box and seeing a family in there Mm. or knowing that there's a family in there and knowing that this line is coming up, Mm. knowing that gifting that line to them with them means so much more for the text. Mm. So, I, I guess the investigation and curiosity every day was around where do you find the thoughts in the audience? Yes. And that's sometimes difficult when you have, you know, school's matinees. Yeah. But the playing space from entrance to entrance around the outer edge of the pillars, the way you pick the audience up and put them down along the way mm-hmm. was a beautiful and important um, part of the playing technique. Mm. The kind of left to right or right to left. Yes. Not getting stuck in the valley of death. Yes, yes. You know, all <laughs> the those valley ki- of death, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, like okay. All those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, where your power power points are yeah. and how to play them across the space. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I'm a bit of an extra kind of person anyway. So playing big suits me well. <laughs> and also when you're tall, you'll appreciate this. When you're tall, like making giant strides across a space. Sure. Yeah. for one thought and changing them completely and going from one side to another. Yeah, it's very, it feels, very powerful. It's so powerful. Mm. It feels so exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, that's right. This is what my breath was made for okay. to do something like this. Yeah, to really own the space, yeah. own the stage. Yeah, and also at the same time, share it. And, and I've spoken to a number of uh, people about performing for young audiences um, on this program, and that's a particular challenge. And I know in the Pop-Up Globe, they kind of feel like they're off the leash in a way that they can behave however they want to, like a real Elizabethan audience. Is that what you encountered? Yeah, at times, but it comes down to the actor's ability to tap into what makes them listen. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's our challenge all the time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. How to deliver a story in a way that invites people. Yeah, yeah. And so you just kind of have to figure out what's going to invite them on this rainy Tuesday 11 a.m. show of yeah. Macbeth, you know, like what's <laughs> going to get them in? Yeah. How loud or how quiet do I need to be? Mm-hmm. How many sexual references do I need to make? Oh, or boy. what, you know, like that kind of thing, yeah. which often doesn't work yeah. because it just kind of makes them more unhinged. <laughs> um, but, you know, things like focusing on friendship, mm. like mm. Guildenstern and, and Rosencrantz and Hamlet, oh, like yeah. The, yeah. the friendship mm-hmm. often kids would really respond to that moment. You know, your friends being here to like have your back and look out Mm -hmm. for you, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's going to be a challenge every time. Yeah. And the way that the actor deals with that challenge is going to be up to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a live issue every time you do it. It's, it's, (laughs) it's it's new every time. Absolutely. Uh, But now of course uh, you've settled into uh, a, big role in a big, big Broadway musical. You're playing George Washington in Hamilton, hit 
it, it was in your version of it was in Sydney. Then it it locked down for about three or four months where you couldn't perform. Now you're in Melbourne, hopefully touring um, the rest of the country and and further afield. What has that experience been like? Just night after night. How many how many shows have you done so far? We're almost at four hundred. Okay, I think. almost at four hundred. So. Like I've been in shows before. I've done maybe a hundred at most, and that was massive for me. That's like that's been a huge run, almost at four hundred. How do you survive that? Very early on in the process, Lynn said to us over Zoom, mm. "At some point, the show will become your yoga during your day." Okay. And for me. I think I recently found my meditation mm-hmm. of what the show is. Okay. And that's not a clocking out or uh, autopilot. No, no, no. But it's a moment and it's a very crazy and special thing that I've never experienced before mm. of being completely present, completely uh, in touch with what's going on and not needing to do anything about it. Okay, okay. Not needing to make something happen yes. or think about what's coming, but just to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And our wonderful team of creatives who got the show up with us, and Patrick Vassell, who's the international um, associate director, just encouraged us constantly to show up and allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is an unlearning as an actor right. because... We're so often taught to take action and make it, hype it, yeah. give it, send it, go hard or go home, yeah, yeah. you know, like yeah. work hard for it, get it out there, be big, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and this is such an unlearning of all of those ideas that yeah. just showing up as I am, how I feel on the day that I'm going in mm. is enough. It's a gift enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything that I have in me, I need to trust is there in order to deliver each moment as it happens. Mm. And so reaching a point of almost meditation mm. and almost yoga in the show has is um, the way that I will survive it yes. because it's brutal. It's grueling. In many ways, yeah, I'm the, sure. The rapping is intense. Yeah. The songs are huge. Yeah. We're all on all the time. Yes, yeah. But we're yeah. miked. Yeah. And that is a really wonderful thing. <laughs> that is a gift. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that when there are moment, when there are nights when you're just a little under vocally, can they boost up the the microphone? Can yeah, they happen? can. I mean, we they generally won't mm. unless you have a conversation with the sound team and be like, "Hey, today I'm just really exhausted, okay. or I'm feeling a little scratchy, or whatever it is." Right. Right. Can you help me out? Right. Often they will, but it's kind of they have a hard enough job as it is. Mm. They're mixing twenty-one different microphones at once, oh my God. on yeah. and off all the time. Who's yeah. speaking now? When? Yeah. The last thing they really need is to worry about an actor struggling with how you know tired their <laughs> okay. voice is. So I wouldn't be the kind of guy who would go to them and be like, "Hey guys, and you know, yeah. I've been in the studio recording the Maori version of Lion King today, so That's I'm really right. tired." So. <laughs> Um, you know, can you just help me out? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be that kind of person. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we are very lucky mm. because the kind of floor level of sound is is less than what I'm giving you right now. 
the simplicity I can mm-hmm. exist with on that stage is okay. less than what we are, are speaking at now. That's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. What what I love about the show, what I love about Hamilton is that it takes, is that in fact it does a, a number of things that Shakespeare does. Uh, you know, there's lots of things to love about Hamilton, but here we are on a Shakespeare podcast. So let's talk about the Shakespearean connection. Um, first of all, obviously there's a few lines from Macbeth in there where he says, I think Hamilton says tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. He, he, he gives that line when he's writing to Angelica, I think. Um, and then he, he even talks about Congress being like uh, Burnham Wood coming up towards Dunsinane, a wonderful line, and, and thinking of himself as, as Macbeth and, and uh, Madison as Banquo and so on. So obviously Lin-Manuel has got Shakespeare rattling around in his head. Um, and, and I've heard him say a couple of times that Shakespeare is an influence on his work. But in, in, in another way, I love it that he uses heightened language and poetry, just like Shakespeare does, to explore history in a way that speaks to the present moment, okay? So he's not making a historical document for history. He's making history to tell us something about ourselves today, and he's doing that by using heightened language. I reckon that is exactly what Lin-Manuel and Shakespeare both are doing. What do you reckon? I completely agree, (laughs) 100%. Mm. And it would be remiss of me to not say that all of my experience that I've had with Shakespeare has led me to this moment because the rhythm of rap, right. the rhyme, mm. the um, the kind of juicy depth of the metaphors, mm-hmm. um, all of it is the same pretty much. Mm. And, yeah, he mm. is heavily influenced by Shakespeare. Yeah. And I love that the scale that he writes at mm. and um, the amount of words. Mm-hmm is massive yeah yeah just kind of like thirty thousand words yeah the amount of the text in hamilton is huge isn't it it's huge and he wants them to be spat fast right right. you know it's like you get get through them Mm -hmm. i think there's a record i think lafayette has holds the record of the most words in three seconds on broadway which Mm -hmm. is 18 words in three seconds (laughs) which is kind of ridiculous (laughs) right but i think shakespeare's also written that way it's like he says the same thing in a variety of different mm-hmm. ways to mm-hmm. appeal to a variety of different classes that yes. are watching, right? So yeah. he wants you to move through the concepts fast. That's right. That's they don't, right. we don't, they don't need to be laborious, mm-hmm. laborious. And Lynn does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I love the the Macbeth reference in the show. Yeah, isn't every that time cool? I hear it when I'm backstage having a little cup of tea while while they're <laughs> up there doing a, a lovely number with him and Angelica and Eliza. Yeah, um, I just it just tickles me every time yeah. because I feel so connected. Mm-hmm. And I really understand, you know. Mm. But why wouldn't you, if you were a, a playwright and a, a composer at this time, why would you not use Shakespeare as a yeah. as an influence and as a template yep. for the legacy that you want to leave? And that's yeah. what Lynn's all about. It's about legacy, planting yeah. seeds in a mm-hmm. garden that you never get to see. Right, right. Yeah, good point. And that's here right. we are, four hundred years later. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and. The work, I think, just like Shakespeare, is going to live on and live on, as you say. But it lives on not just in the writing but in the performances themselves, which each one of them is kind of astonishing from an audience point of view. What sort of training did you have to have? What was that rehearsal process like when you first got the script and you went, right, there's a mountain in front of me now? What was that process to get you to that opening night? Oh, look. From the beginning of rehearsals, we were encouraged to 
to not think of opening night being a goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just a point at which we invited friends in to be part of the exploration along the journey. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea mm. because mm. for me, it really suits my curiosity of the show every night mm-hmm. that it's not exactly the same even though if you talk to my castmates they'll say my show is exactly the same <laughs> but for me there's always like it's always a different negotiation it's evolving. of course it is. it's a yeah. different navigation yeah. and so the mountain in front of me even though i put the pressure on myself to be ready mm-hmm. i think i know that now looking back maybe after 10 months i would have been in inverted commas, ready yes. in the idea that we talk about being ready for opening night. Yeah. yeah. Because there's just a huge amount across all disciplines mm-hmm. that one needs to master mm-hmm. in order to deliver truth. Yeah. And yeah. really that's the point. For me, I don't even think about singing a great note or how good I sounded or anything like that. It's mm. did I get all the words out mm. and is it more honest than yesterday? Than yesterday. Right, yeah. And that's really the only benchmark. Mm -hmm. Because audiences will forgive a bung-sounding note Mm. as long as your truth Mm. is strong, Mm. as long as you are giving them the honesty of the moment. Mm -hmm. They don't care how long you hold that damn note. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you are honestly giving it to them, that it means something, Mm. that's what they hear in in their heart. That's what they'll hear. Yeah, of course, of course. Had you done much rap before? Not not a one line really? of rap ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Actually, funny story. When I knew that the show was coming here to Australia, I was on tour with the quartet in Edinburgh and we were creating a new show to do alongside a show that we were already programmed to do. Mm, mm. And so it was kind of like a garage party style show. And we were like, oh, let's do the session where we just jam things out. And I was like, oh, I should do a rap then. <laughs> I was like, every show since I found that it was coming, I, was, I managed to get a rap into yeah, it. Just to like, rap okay, I better do it. But I never learned how to do it. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. And now after I've like talked with Alex Lackamore, the legend that is, mm. Um, original composer and orchestrator of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I kind of understand what rap is now okay, and okay. how I need to deliver it. Mm, mm. Like I would treat rap like text, yeah, but it's not. Right. And right. I only know that now. So so is it different? Because I thought it would need the same kind of muscularity as some, something like Shakespeare where you've got to wrap your mouth around those vowels and consonants and, and make that meaning clear for an audience. Is that, that not the same that's required? In it rap? is, but more than that, mm. the way you hit the rhyme, the band of pitch you use okay. all makes a difference to the way that the rap has been constructed. Mm. So, for example, if I was to say... Can I be real a second for just a millisecond? Let down my guard and tell the people how I feel a second. Like I would say that like text Mm -hmm. and ask the question. Right. Because that's what we do. We ask the question. Sure. Right. And so working with someone like Alex or Lack, we affectionately call him, Mm -hmm. um, he said to me, can you limit your band of pitch and hit the rhymes better? Okay. And if you change to the next set of rhymes – change and you want to change pitch Mm. stay in the same band of pitch when you hit there so instead of can i be real a second for just a millisecond it's more like can i be real a second for just a millisecond let down my guard and tell the people how i feel a second now i'm the model of a modern major do you know and it just builds a different yes yes like Mm. it 
creates the tension stronger. Mm, mm. Whereas I would just be like, I'm going to read this like text. Yeah, yeah, okay. But okay. no, I was wrong. Interesting. <laughs> but hey, that's the learning and that I'm is, just grateful for it. That like, is fascinating. That is fascinating. Are you the only Maori cast member in this production? I'm not. No? We have, there are three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the principal women are also Maori. Yeah. So Akina Edmonds, who has been here working in musical theatre since I think about 2008. Mm-hmm. She's done a lot over here and she's really well known. and She's incredible. Mm. She plays Angelica Skyler, yep. Eliza's older sister, and a young, beautiful Samoan Maori woman who names Elandra Eramiha and she plays Peggy, Eliza's younger sister. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them have spent a lot of time here. Alandra grew up here um, and her roots go back to the top of the North Island. Yeah, yeah. And Akina has spent a, a good amount of time back home and she's kind of uh, Hawke's Bay area. Mm. That's where her people are from, East Coast, Hawke's Bay. So how important is, is that for you that you're a Maori artist, not just an artist in, in Hamilton but a Maori artist being visible, showing that you know, for your community, this is important? The way that I look at myself Mm. or that I would identify myself is first and foremost Māori. Yeah. Secondly, a man. Yes. A son, a brother, an uncle. Mm. Then an artist. Mm. And then somebody on the queer spectrum. Okay. Okay. That's how I would identify myself. And you're doing that in order of importance, is yes. that what you're saying? Yeah. First and foremost, I'm Māori. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I'm a Māori man. Yes. And I am part of a Māori family. Okay. So yeah. to me, representing on a stage this big, footing it with the best in the world, mm. connecting with my GW counterparts and all the other companies on Broadway is... It's outrageous and amazing and Mm. super important for the next generation of Māori performers because I believe really strongly, wholeheartedly, that my special superpower Mm. is my culture. Mm. I believe it's the thing that makes me different. Mm. I believe it's the thing that makes me special. In any situation, it is my moral, truth, cultural compass. Mm that dictates the way that I treat anyone and how I step into a room. That's beautiful, Matu. Matu, thank you so much. But before we go, we've got the final five. That's five quick questions. We need five (laughs) quick answers. Okay, here we go. Number one, are you the lover, the villain, or the fool? Yes. (laughs) That's great. I haven't had that answer before. What's your most underrated Shakespeare play? I'll speak from what I know. I think comedy there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's your favourite artist you'd love to work with who you haven't worked with before? Oh, Serene McAllen. Oh, sure. And what's your dream Shakespeare role you'd love to play? What's on your bucket list? Well, we've talked about him a bit, mm. um, but I think I'd really love to return to the role of Othello yeah. at some point yeah, soon. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's perfect timing now. And if you weren't a performer, what do you think you'd be doing? I'd be in probably medicine mm-hmm. somewhere. I think I'd be a really good physiotherapist. Oh, yeah? Okay. Like I have a big sports background mm-hmm. and I love um, – and I've been, in, <laughs> I've been in a lot of 
physiotherapy sessions mm. o- over my lifetime. I'm sure. Yeah. Operations in my knees, yeah. ruptured Achilles. I, um, I think being a physiotherapist would be awesome. Matu, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on Speak the Speech. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast through your listening platform. 